welcome to the first episode of the To Practice a Practice podcast. I'm Joe. I'm Emily. Emily is my research assistant. Thanks for clearing that up, Joe. You're really not my assistant, though, because you guide me. So you're my research coach. Today, I'm going to tell the world what it's like to do my PhD. I want to give access into what it's like being an academic, trying to be an academic, because I'm not even an academic, trying to be an academic, and into the art world. So everything is through my eyes. There are three components on top of my physical research, which just makes me sound like an overachiever, which obviously I am. <clears throat> Nerd is true. So I have this podcast and I also have a blog and I also have an Instagram feed. How did you settle on the name to practice a practice? So I came up with the name to practice a practice because it really related to me as a creative. So the first practice is spelled with an S and then the second practice is spelled with a C. Yay, English. So as a creative, I have to constantly practice my practice. So my studio practice in this sense. So doctors have a practice, accountants have a practice, lawyers have a practice. Everybody does, does practice their practice. If that's your day job, you, you practice it whether you really want to or not. Mm. Um, and so I came up with this name because I really liked the flexibility that it came with it, that it's not only applicable to the creative class, even though it is a little tricky. You're such a trickster, Joe. Tricks are for kids. Tricks are for kids. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I'm currently researching the link between cultural sustainability and the economic outcomes of post-secondary art school graduates. Uh, what exactly does that mean? I really want to be able to be a practicing artist. And what I really mean by that is to be able to sit in a studio and make work all day long. But, but that actually is very costly and somebody needs to pay the bills. So rent, food, utilities, and that's literally just the super basic. And then there's material. And most people underestimate how much it costs to buy materials, obviously depending on what type of work you make. And in my case, I make site-specific ephemeral public installations. I don't really make money with my work, at least not right now, because I don't really know how to monetize my creativity. And I really sort of wondered how many of my friends have actually quote unquote made it and can make full time. If there's so many of us who aren't able to practice, then isn't all our knowledge and skill unused and not being put back to into the pool where it came from? And that's a really big problem because the pool is the culture and societies. And we, the creative class, need to be empowered to be able to actually practice our practice. And the problems with lack of funding, lack of interest, lack of accessibility into the arts and culture is leading to cultural homogenization and cultural obsolescence. So the creative class isn't paid for their creativity. And what we've learned and literally sweated and teared in our studio practice is going down the route of obsolescence because 
really, I mean, this is sort of harsh, but we're not valued economically or even culturally. Yeah, it's a chicken and the egg. Is the artist devalued and then culture goes obsolete or is culture slowly being eroded and as a, pro- as a result, the creative class is devalued? It, the argument is kind of irrelevant. The problem is very real. Because either way, the creative class is devalued. At the same time, art and culture is devalued. But everybody, I would hope, understands how important art and culture is. And therefore, the practitioners of art and culture also need to be valued. Definitely. Sad story. It's a very sad, sad, sad story. So how are you conducting your research? I'm sending out surveys to fine art graduates to see what they've been up to since they graduated. Cool. So what are we doing here? I wanted to share with our listeners my journey, which mainly is actually just very much struggling to do a PhD. Um, and what it's like for a dyslexic artist trying to make sense of sociology within a school of business. Good luck. Yeah. You'd know. Um, But yeah, I I really hope that this podcast gives insight into what academia is like through my eyes, which is hard, by the way. It's extra hard when you're dyslexic and you just don't seem to get it. And to reach my community of creatives who love their practice but just can't seem to make it work. That is myself included, hence why I had to go back to school. So I'm tasking you... Emily, to help me do this. Okay, no problem. What do you need me to do? You're going to ask me some questions for my survey. I'm going to answer them to help explain some of the key concepts I'm exploring in my research. Basic questions about what I've been up to since finishing my master's and talk about some abstract concepts of what I argue makes up my creative practice. I'm asking these questions of myself here and then I'll see through my survey whether other creatives have a similar outlook as I do. Great, let's get to it. First question. Do you currently work full-time in an occupation as an artist? I do not. Uh, When I was in my undergrad, one of the teachers very quickly glazed over this harsh fact that one in 20 of us will be making in 10 years' time. And mind you that my classes had like six to eight people in there. So they were tiny classes. (laughs) If it's one in 20 of us, then, you know, that's just it's like one out of every two years <laughs> yeah. of classes. Yeah. It's actually really sad. That's sad. That's but, a terrible yeah, odds. It's actually really terrible, terrible odds. And out of my group of friends um, from both my undergrad and my graduate degrees, like I, I literally know nobody who is still making on a full-time basis. So the, the sad truth is that 12 years after I started my undergrad, I mean, I still make... But I also had to get a nine to five job to go and financially sustain myself. Also, I had to go back to school because I, I really, really want to be making on a full time and I really wanted to go and see how that was possible. I was really lucky to be able to get a mid-level job seeing as how the joke for fine art and liberal art grads is that you get a million dollar education and then you end up working in Starbucks as a barista. At minimum wage, nonetheless. That's not always true, Joe. Sometimes you end up as waiters and waitresses making minimum wage. Yeah, so the thing is, is that it's not a joke. It's the truth. 
And it breaks my heart to think that we, the creative class, go through extensive training to acquire tacit and tangible knowledge. And all that knowledge goes nowhere. So you've mentioned this concept of tangible knowledge. Um, my first question is, what exactly is tangible knowledge? And then on a scale from important, or sorry, on a scale from very important to not at all important, how important is tangible knowledge in your creative practice? Tangible knowledge is like wiki how. So you're able to go and very succinctly summarize how to do something, step one, step two, step three. Sort of like a recipe book. Um, it's the same skill that you're using over so, and over again. For those of us who are not creatives, it's kind of like driving a car. It's knowing where to put the keys, it's knowing how to turn the car on, it's knowing where the parking brake is and how to turn on the windshield wipers and all of the hard knowledge you need to be able to get from point A to point B. Yeah, exactly. So to answer the second part of your question, how important is tangible knowledge in my creative practice? I would say that it's very important because it sets the foundation in my creative practice from conceptualization to the actual finished installation. Okay. So you've also mentioned previously a concept known as tacit knowledge. Um, Please explain to our listening audience what tacit knowledge is. And on a scale from very important to not at all important, how important is tacit knowledge in your creative practice? So I'm going to use the definition of Ikujiro Nonaka, who coined the term tacit knowledge. And I'm literally going to read this. The definition of tacit knowledge is something not easily visible and expressible. Tacit knowledge is highly personal and hard to formalize. Subjective insights, intuition, and hunches fall into this category. It is captured in the know-how. It consists of mental models, beliefs, and perspectives so ingrained that you, we take them for granted and therefore cannot easily articulate them. If we're going back to my very eloquent car example, once you've already started the car and you're driving and using your tangible knowledge, so tacit knowledge would kind of be like knowing your car well enough to know when to like apply the brake to come to a rolling stop at a red light or exactly how fast to hit a turn or all of that that you can't really necessarily teach someone but it has to be learned by feel? Pretty much, especially if you drive different cars, there's obviously a different different pressure that you need to apply in different cars in order for it to do what you need it to do. Which does not kill me on my way. Yeah. Or other people, I guess. Either. Hmm. Either is bad outcomes. Hmm. Yeah, your example of driving is really good and I'm going to give a different example in through through one of the installations that I made. So one of my first projects, I made an Alice in, Alice in Wonderland inspired installation. And I probably made like 100, 150 roses out of tissue paper. 
And so the tangible knowledge of that is physically learning how to make this rose out of tissue paper. So it's bunching paper to make the core and then learning how to go and fold pieces of paper outside of the core in order for it to be layered to look like petals. Um, then sort of like when to stop and whatever. Uh, I would say that that would be the tangible knowledge. Um, after doing it a hundred times, like you really get the hang of it. And so the tacit knowledge of that is I am able to go and use that knowledge and apply it into different materials. So I've actually also made roses out of garbage bags, also in a much larger scale. And because I've watched my gesture of laying the quote unquote petals on top of each other, I also have a sense of knowing how to literally flip or turn in order for the material to hold up in a specific way that looks more quote-unquote petal-like and that I would say is the tacit knowledge that I was able to go and extract from my tangible knowledge. So tacit and tangible knowledge are totally ingrained within, within each other and how important is it? It's also very important in my creative practice. Would you say that tacit and tangible knowledge is the same for all creatives? Or would you argue that perhaps some creatives use more tangible than tacit or more tacit than tangible? I would imagine that probably different people differ depending on their practice. Um, and I, I don't think that it could ever be a 50-50 split. I would imagine as a painter, I'm not a painter, I have painted, that knowing how much paint from one color to mix to another color, I would say that that's tacit because you need to actually physically know the ratio of one color and the and the other color in order to blend to a different color. The way I think also from my understanding is there are painters who have techniques in being able to go and fold paint. It's not only artist specific, but it's also practice specific. I think different practices and different pieces also require tacit and tangible knowledge. So it's never really 50-50, but it's fluid. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for sharing your answers to your own survey questions. I hope this podcast bunches together my people of creatives who are still trying to go and quote unquote make it. Or actually anybody who's interested or curious about the creative process of somebody who doesn't quite fit in and can't quite be pigeonholed. So in the next four episodes, we're going to be talking about the four fundamentals of a studio practice taught to me in my undergrad. And these are reading, writing, making, and talking about work. I will do this by answering more questions from my own survey. Awesome. See you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Two Practice Practice podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at Two Practice Practice. Or please see our blog at www.practice-practice.com. That's P R A. C-T-I-S-E dash P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E dot com.